0: Uh, I'm Alex Gavis, Uh, I'm the moderator for this program, uh, Demystifying In-House Counsel. Uh, This program is uh, another in a series by the Boston Bar Association, highlighting many of the aspects of uh, serving as an in-house counsel. We have an absolutely terrific panel today uh, and I will briefly introduce them, but I'm gonna let them actually give a little bit of a description about what they do in their role. We have SCR Garcia, who's an Assistant General Counsel of the Fenway Sports Group. We have Cam Stullen, who is an Associate General Counsel at the T-Zero Group. And we have Destiny Waiters, who's an Associate General Counsel at Suffolk University. Um, what I'd like to do is have each of the panelists uh, give a little bit of an introduction of their role and their journey to being an in-house counsel. Um, and I'm gonna start with Isiar, would you like to go first?
1: Sure, so thanks for having me. Um, I am assistant general counsel here at Fenway Sports Group in Boston. Um, FSG um, owns the Red Sox and Liverpool, most recently the Pittsburgh Penguins as well. They own a NASCAR team, Channel. um, And then they have a lot of strategic partnerships including with Live Nation, um, as well as LeBron James and Maverick Carter, who are also um, owners. Of, of FSG. Um, I primarily focus on corporate commercial transactions, um, privacy and data security, as well as some internal governance. Um, our group here is pretty pretty lean. We have um, seven attorneys. We have uh, two legal specialists that uh, provide support to our group. Um, and throughout the year, we always have one to two legal interns from local law schools. Um, I'm originally from Queens, New York, I grew up a Mets fan. <laughs> um, I practiced M&A as an M&A corporate uh, attorney in private practice for about 10 years before I joined um, FSG and um, in both New York and, and Boston. So just um, happy to be on the panel.
0: Terrific, thank you. Uh, Cam, do you want to go next?
2: Yeah, sure. So I'm Cam Scullin. Um, as Alex doing, I'm currently Associate General Counsel at t Group. T0 Group's a fintech company operating in the capital market space. We have a number of regulated subsidiaries. Of those, we have a registered broker dealer, T0 ATS, which operates an alternative trading system that utilizes blockchain technology. So, my background, you know, I was in private practice for a number of years in Washington, DC, and, and in Boston. And I represented a number of clients in the digital asset and blockchain space, which really triggered my interest in T0 in and of itself, given its kind of ancillary touch points with blockchain technology. Um, At T0, I do a number of things. We're a small legal team uh, composed of three individuals. So I touch kind of all real departments of the company and all business verticals across all our subsidiaries. Um, I'm from Boston myself. I'm a Boston native and currently based in Boston. And it's a pleasure to be here today with this panel. Great. Thank you, Cam. Destiny?
3: Hi, I'm Destiny Waiters. Um, I'm the Associate General Counsel at Suffolk University. Um, For those of, of I'm from Texas, and so it's still a an interesting, like, oh, if you don't know Suffolk, but I feel like everyone here does. Um, it's a, <laughs> a, a private institution that's located um, in and around Beacon Hill. We have about um, 7,000 students, um, and so when it comes to being a lean office, there are two of us, um, and so we cover the range from everything that relates to real estate matters to um, civil rights issues. Um, The way I came to Suffolk and higher ed and in-house is that it was my first um, real internship. Um, My second year of law school, I started at a um, two-year community college in Texas and then moved to a bigger one. Um, a little town called Houston. Um, and then I was the general counsel um, in a actually very small town called Denton, Texas for Texas Women's University. But the way I came to law and I think the way my practice is framed is that um, I worked at a summer camp for kids with developmental disabilities from 13 to 21. So like that week right before law school. Um, and my risk levels that I um advise on I feel like maybe are a little lower than most attorneys because we bagged kids and took them canoeing. So it's like, all right, what do you want to do? Let's figure out how to do that. Uh, so that's that's how I came to in-house counsel practice. And I've been here for um going on 15 years and I really love it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well thank you everyone. Um, so when we were preparing for this panel, we were thinking about you know how to demystify the outside or in house counsel experience. And um we thought a little bit about some of the sort of myths that are surrounding the in-house counsel role. And um we have a couple of them that we're going to go through here and sort of uh, have the panelists give some of their experiences. But the first one really relates to, Um, the fact that, um, you know, there's a perception sometimes that the in-house counsel role is very narrow and it's only really, uh, you know, dealing with very specific issues. You're kind of hired to be a tax attorney in-house or you're hired to be a specific IP attorney and that's your role and that's what you do. And um, we want to talk a little bit with the panelists here about sort of um, how that may not be true, that, you know, in-house really involves quite a broad array of issues and things to work on. I want to turn to you, Destiny, and maybe you could give us a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, information background on sort of what you do and, and how that works at a big university like something.
3: Yeah, and I, I want to start with the the idea that, like, it's just a single transaction, um, because there are plenty of companies and positions that do have large legal departments. And so, if you and someone just asked about the um, the the pathway to being in house, there there are plenty of opportunities to go in house as a contract attorney or someone with a very particular and specific role. However. I feel like over the last 10 years, um, especially the role of the general counsel and then roles of deputy general counsels and associate general counsels has really become broad. So we're not just doing single transactions. We are organizational leaders that are assisting with the mission. And that might be dealing with a single transaction, Um, for example, um, when I Um, first moved here, we were in process of buying what is now One Court Street, but it was the Ames building. And it was like a building where Amy Schumer, you know, uh, did I Feel Pretty um, and things like that. But but really, the in-house, the modern in-house council is a generalist. And so you get to do both the macro and micro pieces of the organization. And that could be working through one disability discrimination suit. But then you end up seeing... Like, oh, these same characters are mentioned in this issue and this issue and this issue. So it might actually allow, as the general counsel, someone to see the entire organization and problems that start to affect the enterprise. Um, and then that's where our role as advisors are to advise, not just on the legal pieces, but like if you look at um, 2.1 of our professional um, standards of conduct we start advising on moral political and other issues as relevant to the one small issue that we might dealing with be dealing with excuse me or much larger global issues. so I think that again there are plenty of opportunities to go in as a singular singularly focused general counsel but I don't think that that's um, what our clients are looking
0: for as we uh, progress in this role of general. In role, yeah, that, that makes sense. Issyar, I know you mentioned, um, I mean, well, Fenway Sports Group, you mentioned there are a lot of different parts to that organization. Plus, you know, you have a background, you know, sort of in, in one particular area. But tell us a little bit about sort of whether, you know, you're sort of still in that role or you're broader or what, what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I was... I grew up in, in the, you know, New York law firm world, and I, I practiced at a law firm here in Boston as well when I relocated. Um, and I was hesitant about going in house. One, I actually really enjoyed practicing at a law firm; I never hated it. Um, but you do—you are staffed on teams. On I was a corporate associate, so you usually work in large teams on deals of different sizes. But your role is usually pretty discreet in that, right? You have a point of contact at client. Um, So you have a sort of narrow view into like your client's world um, for purposes of, of course, getting the deal done. And then you move on to the next deal or you do several at the same time, which is usually the case. Um, So for me, it was a little bit nerve wracking switching roles, going in-house because I had this perception that, you know, will I get the same volume of work because I'm doing the same thing, right? There's really not a lot of breadth. Um, And that's, of course, that myth. It was a myth completely. Right. So I thought the best way to illustrate (laughs) um, the sort of the scope of what the modern in-house counsel does, which destiny. I love that. I love that term, the modern in-house counsel. So in just this month, I started taking down a list. So I've worked on a sale of a business, a refinancing, various owner transactions, leak disclosures, data security incidents, as well as data compliance, which takes up a lot of time in-house counsel these days, negotiation of a material software service arrangements for our direct to consumer streaming product, Due diligence on three potential investments, commissions agreements, licensing agreements, term sheet negotiations, involving four of our different operating businesses, Risk analysis. I deal with insurance companies more than I've ever thought possible. Advice on compensation plans and too many NDAs to really count. Um, so and the, you know, I may have missed one or two. Like this was not really the, the scope of my practice when I was in private practice, right? Yes, you worked on MA deals, you work on a you know cross-licensing agreement. But they were variations, sort of iterations of the same thing, right? And then you go in-house and now you are a problem solver. You are an advisor. You work for various stakeholders. Um, It's actually a lot of fun, right? It pushes you out of your comfort zone. But no, there's, I don't think there's never a dull moment. There's maybe some variation from organization to organization, depending on the size of your team. But, But in order to be an advisor and really a value add to your organization. I mean, yeah, you you need to. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you need to be involved in. You need to wear many hats and yeah, and be ready yeah. and willing and able to work.
0: Makes sense. And and I'm I'm uh, I'm exhausted hearing that list of all the things you worked on. Boy, I hope I hope you got some sleep during the <laughs> during that time. It's been Fun, um, it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, Cam, can you uh, give us a little bit of? background, you're in a smaller shop, I think, in in a smaller organization, but um, tell us, and also, you know, a a startup, so, or a a fintech, I should say.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to do so. I think, first off, both my colleagues kind of hit a lot of really important points that that I very much agree with. So, you know, for T T-Zero group, we are in the, the fintech area, as kind of Alex just noted, um, to get to a fintech company, I think you do have some kind of background before in, spe- in terms of specialty before you get into a fintech company. Um, so for me, I'm a securities and derivatives attorney uh, from private practice, right? And so I have a number of, ex- uh, kind of clients working in the digital asset space, getting exposure to regulators and then certain transactions that you would see tend to see on a day-to-day basis for the fintech company. That being said, once you get into the in-house role, it's very much a generalist role. So it's funny that uh, my colleague just listed out the the list of things that she was working on because I did the same thing. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, I'm touching various kind of aspects of the company. You have corporate governance, IP, HR employment, privacy, commercial contracts, strategic transactions, which are more long-term, but you do see it on a day-to-day basis. Uh, But then most importantly, regulatory affairs for a company like T-Zero Group. And so with a small team, as kind of, again, Alex just noted, so we have three people. Um, We have my deputy and then my chief legal officer, both individuals have other roles within the company besides just legal roles. Um, so for me, as a more junior individual on the team, I'm kind of seeing everything uh, that the company is touching from a legal perspective. And then as well, you know, we tend to help out from a business advisory perspective too. And so it's really cool. You get to see all these different legal issues, but you also get to get involved with certain business strategy type projects like product development and things of that nature. Oh, uh,
0: that's terrific. And and you know, picking up on that, you know, it. Another myth that, you know, kind of comes out often is that, you know, an in-house counsel only sort of handles routine matters. You're sort of, you know, the person who's going to do the day-to-day stuff. But, you know, if it's complex, you're going to send it out to an outside counsel. Um, And I'm going to add in a question from from our audience here. You know, if there's something that's non routine and maybe it's out of your expertise, how do you become knowledgeable about that area? You know, if it's certainly if you came in with a background, how do you get into that uh, new new area, particularly if it's a complex area? And you know, is it always just routine, or where, what's the what's the balance between complex and routine? ACR, do you want to give us a little bit of thoughts on that?
1: All right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think your your role really is to advise, right? Your your various stakeholders and your various groups. Um, you if if you're if you have a matter that you're dealing with for the first time and you really feel uncomfortable right um that you need you will need outside help what i would do is go to my general counsel express my concerns and you, you then typically do bring in outside counsel to support um obviously you try and work closely with your outside counsel learn uh as much as you can about that matter if it comes up again you now may be comfortable dealing with it on your own or honestly it might just be more efficient and um, to to keep outsourcing right to to you know you have your um at least here in our organization we have uh, various outside counsel that we use to support us in in different matters so you need to balance you know cost efficiency but also efficiency of time and um you know you can't spend a lot of time on one matter because there's all these other matters that you also need to to um, you know pay attention to and 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 progress. Um, so learning how to use outside counsel effectively and efficiently is, it's challenging, um, but it's, um, invaluable.
0: But, but I think from just picking up on that real quick, you're, you know, if there's a, a, complicated, it sounds like from the list that you gave, you certainly have worked on some pretty complex issues, um, you know, not just sort of routine day-to-day family sports group matters or whatever, that there's a lot of complexity. Of oh,
1: no, purpose. yes, yes. No, I mean, look, there's, uh, I don't know that I would say that they're just, I don't know that I have anything that I would call like a routine matter. I mean, there's like governance style things that, that yes, that need to be done on a periodic basis. And, um, but, but there are nuances to those as well. And as your business changes as well, our, our organization is growing and diversifying these routine matters take on a different twist right you need to constantly approach them with um, fresh eyes and um, update them if if you will um and again as as your organization grows and changes you need to consider like what are you what are you what are you thinking is routine right like it's not um i honestly can't think of i guess like i do a lot of ndas i negotiate a lot of ndas but for different opportunities right and so some of them are commercial NDAs that are quicker and they're on a form and we try and just sort of sign them up so that you know conversations can begin but there are other ones that are um, for more complicated opportunities right they are more heavily negotiated and so there there might be a little bit more sensitivity there right so it, it just depends on what you consider routine but but no I mean there are bigger transactions and there are smaller transactions but I feel like there's always something unique about every matter that I'm that I'm working on, and, and new people that I'm working with within the organization every day as well. So,
0: got
2: it. Got it. Um, Cam, how about how about you? Yeah, so I think you know, just going back to the question that came up real quick too, in terms of how you can learn about certain expertise or area. So you know, we're in the blockchain space, but not a blockchain company necessarily. We had. A previous subsidiary that we effectively closed this past March um, that operated in the cryptocurrency space. And I spent a lot of time there. Um, and I can tell you right now that there are people that have been in the, the blockchain space for a number of years, but from a regulatory perspective, it's very new, um, very new and very fresh. So, in terms of learning something and becoming an expert in something, I think you just read as much as you possibly can. You know, there's a lot of resources today available online where you can go get really good free content. Um, I mean, the people in the space are constantly publishing stuff and posting papers and you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, my mornings consist of waking up and spending an hour, kind of going through the news and going through new resources or new sources that are coming out from those individuals in the space and just reading. I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. Um, in terms of being, you know, something that's routine at, at a kind of fintech company, um, I would almost say nothing's routine because we're we're at the <laughs> the younger age. Um, we're not necessarily a startup anymore. I think we're more towards a medium stage company uh, approaching the growth stage, but. Um, there's definitely new issues every day. Uh, we're constantly exploring new opportunities in, in the industry, and those are constantly changing, right? As, as things develop on a day-to-day basis, on a month-month, quarter-quarter basis. So, um, it's very exciting when you're with a smaller company. You can definitely see issues that are consistent across projects. Um, but again, if you want to be in a space that you don't have a background in or experience in, I wouldn't let that deter you from going exploring opportunities in that space because you'll find majority of the people just got to that space as well.
0: Yeah, thank you. And and Destiny, I remember. I mean, you you and I served. Um, you know, we were um, actually you came to my in-house counsel class, and and you you brought with you this chart um, showing all the different parts of Suffolk University. You know, there's athletics, there's academics, there's you know HR, there's all sorts of things. And you know, um, it didn't sound like much as routine in your world. But <laughs> tell us more.
3: But there, I think uh, there's always a balance, right? And so when you're in-house for an organization like a university or a hospital or something like that, like a lot of what, what we have to do is gonna be regulatorily bound. And so I think a better example than what my current role is is when I was, in, I was general counsel at Texas Women's University because like, there were things that I had to do on a routine basis. And I had to figure out a way to get those things done, um, kind of the worker bee things done. And then also deal with the bigger substantive issues that dealt with strategic placement of of whatever it is. So even in dealing with a discrimination complaint, that's gonna be a, a huge strategic matter. But like, you know, every day from... 845 to 930, like I have a, a a hold on my calendar. And that's when I review all grants and like run-of-the-mill contracts that for some reason need my review. Um, and then later on in the day, there's another hold to review all litigation. And I give myself that time and I block it so that no one else comes and tries to get on my calendar. So that I can incorporate those routine pieces immediately. But like you have to leave space open for the the fire that you have to put out, because as one of my colleagues just eloquently put, like we are problem solvers and problems don't have routines. They just come at 445 on Fridays. That's just that's their routine. Uh, and so, so that's the answer to that question. There was another question about like learning and preparing and getting involved, and uh, like Cam said, like a lot of it is reading the trade manuals or the trade publications that come out. Um, but I want to add to that, and for me, getting involved in the professional organization. Um, so for me in higher ed, it's called NACUA. It's the National Association for College and University Attorneys. Um, and being a part of those organiza- excuse me, organizations, one allows me to keep up with things that I don't even know might be going on or percolating because someone else is dealing with it. And they're posting on a listserv saying, have you seen this new DOJ listing? And so that gives an opportunity to read it. Um, and then collaborate. But then also, and I think this is really important, especially for people who are watching this and even more new attorneys, if you're not familiar with the law and it's interesting and it's up and coming, learn everything you can about it and then maybe write like an article on it. One, you're learning it. Two, you might actually be able to publish that somewhere. And so it's helping the profession and it's also helping you grow because I feel like when you teach and write about something, um, you learn it better. It embeds in your soul. And so that's, that's my response to those
0: two. Thank you. No, that's very helpful. i uh, got two more myths I want to kind of get to, and, and then we'll move on to some other topics. But the, the next one I think is, you know, is it better to be, you know, you're coming into an in-house shop, you're thinking about, or you're thinking about, you know, joining a, a, a in-house uh, department. You know, is it better to be part of a small or a larger organization? Some you know, people say, you know, you want to join somewhere that's like a law firm where there are lots of attorneys, or maybe you want to be somewhere where there's, you know, room to grow and you're, so I'm going to turn to Cam for a minute because you're a really small shop and, um, and, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And then I want to turn to, I think I'm going to turn to ACR next because you're in a little bit of a larger shop compared to, of the, of the three of you, but Cam, go ahead.
2: Yeah, so look for a small shop. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, again, we have a team of three, so it's myself, our deputy, and our chief legal officer. And we have a number of regulated subsidiaries, and we're doing you know a lot from a business perspective, both from a product and services perspective. So you're spread really thin, um, but that's good because you get exposure to a lot of different issues, a lot of things you know I hadn't seen before I came to be an in-house counsel. Um, so you learn really quickly and you kind of have to learn really quickly because things are moving so fast and you need to, need to be able to advise your client on certain issues that are popping up on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, things that kind of stand out when I think about working at a smaller shop is you, you want to be on a really strong team. So there's small teams, but you want to be on a strong team. So if you if you're thinking about that type of an opportunity, really make sure you understand who the legal team is. I'm I'm incredibly lucky to have a really good deputy, really good CLO who are kind of mentoring me and teaching me as I go. But um, then the second thing is make sure you're really interested in the industry. So you really have to know everything about the company. And no matter what you're working on, employment law, IP law, you know, corporate governance, whatever it may be, it will touch point that industry basis. So make sure you're interested in it because it will be what you're doing on, you know, on every type of project that you're working on. So I think those are two most important points that I've realized since I've been at a small shop, Dallas.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point around sort of, you know, being passionate about, mission of the organization that you're joining. I mean, it's not always going to be the case that you can be, but, you know, if you can align your interests with the organization, that can be extremely helpful, I think, because, you know, then you're really invested in the mission. Um, ECR, do you want to talk a little bit about a larger department?
1: Um, Yeah, I don't don't necessarily think one is better than the other. I think I 100% agree with Cam. I, I think it's critical that before you start um, in-house that, you know, the team, the legal team really well, like what is their role in the organization? Like, how does the organization view their in-house counsel? Um, but I think it's also, so I think, I think that's critical and it's, and it's one of the reasons why I feel so fortunate to be where I am. Um, I think we have a great team here. Um, but I think it's also really important to like the people you work with. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just for, it makes everything so much better, not just within your legal team, but also like your management as well, right? You work so closely with them. You know, we have, we have seven lawyers, but we're constantly working with our, our management and different, in our different operating companies and, you know, un- knowing what their roles are, like what the dynamics are with the legal team, but also knowing, knowing them, I think, and, and liking who you work with is, is, it's pretty important as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I and I will say I I came from a, a financial services organization that uh, now has probably about 170 lawyers, so it's like a small law firm. I I will say that was terrific because there were so many expert people in the organization that I didn't have to go outside. I could you know really lean on some you know experts in different areas. Also, it gave us a chance to. To really build programs like we had a pro bono program, we had, um, you know, learning lunch programs, we had a lot of programs and learning programs for, or, um, so, you know, there's a balance between small and large, and it's really kind of your preference as to what you think might work for you. And also, I think to Cam and both his years' points, you know, the people you work with, you want to be really careful that you're working with people who you know and trust and like. And also an organization that you feel invested with a mission. I want to turn to the last myth here, and then we'll move on to other topics. But um, you know, there's this sort of sense that you know, well, going in house it's kind of easy street. It's going to be, you know, it's going to not be as stressful as where I am in my current law practice or or my other job that I've got. And you know, that that I think can be, um, you know, uh, not that that may not be true. I also want to address, I want to ask or or tee up a question that came in from the audience um, with that, which is: um, you know, uh, the question is, do you think uh, uh, that being an in-house counsel is easier or harder as a woman or a member of a historically excluded population? And how does your identity affect your work life and opportunities? And that sort of maybe goes hand in hand with sort of the the level of stress or the level of sort of um, engagement that you might have with with your organization. I'm going to turn to Destiny you first. I know there's a two part question there, but whichever part you want to answer, go for it. Yeah.
3: So that's a that's a really interesting question, um, and I think I I like I'm at a place where I can be really vulnerable about that answer. Um, And I'm really excited because I live here now. So my experience in Texas, um, and just by way of background, I was 30 when I was appointed as the general counsel and chief compliance officer of um, a relatively large university. Um, And I think at that time, I held myself as the standard bearer of the institution. And that was very stressful, um, especially coming in as as uh, Ms. Garcia said, like not knowing the place where my client put general counsel and, and really trying to be a change maker and an advocate general counsel, that was very difficult. It's not so, um, I think that having to bill hours and things like that, are difficult. Having to deal with clients and shareholders can be difficult, and I've never dealt with it, so I can't speak to the what is better, but I do know that the in house role, um, depending on your level of emotional maturity, and this is absolutely true, and ability to either let things roll off of you or internalize them is really going to dictate that experience, Um, you know, and I, and the individual who asked the question in the uh, chat. Um, I had, like, I've had multiple experience. One as giving counsel, giving counsel at a public institution where the Proud Boys are marching through, you know, our space and being the only Black individual in the C-suite saying, hey, let's talk about the First Amendment, and, um, and, so, and and so and so it feels sometimes like you're you're having to move from a place of absolute intellectualism and not feel things even though you go home and you feel them. Um, and that can be very difficult and stressful. Um, but I think that when you have an institution and going back to like knowing who you work with, who you work for, and developing those relationships so that you can move as a person. And as an attorney, um, is a really good space, but it does take a lot of balance and a lot of patience with yourself.
0: Um, thank you. That's terrific. Um, Isera, do you wanna uh comment too?
1: Um yeah, as to which is which is more stressful or which is more, which is harder. Um look, working in big law is incredibly stressful. You're constantly jugg- juggling various matters. You're working around the clock. I mean, as as you become more senior, that doesn't change. (laughs) There's no no real light at the end of the tunnel, but it is fascinating work. And you you work with really great people. You have the opportunity to meet um, your clients and and work closely with them. And that's always very rewarding. The reality is you really do not have control over your time, though. You are a service provider. You need to be available to your clients 24-7. So I think for me personally, the biggest change in moving in house was more control over over my time, and I get weekends to myself most of the time now. So that's that was um, fantastic. Uh, the the is it more or less stressful? Well, it's it's just as stressful, but in a different in a different way, right? I'm not worried about billable hours anymore, or am I meeting my quota, or am I do I have enough profile client? I mean that that's sort of not you know, on my mind anymore, Um, but, but am I servicing my constituencies with the, you know, in the same way? Am I, am I really available? Am I giving everyone the, every business unit, the attention that, that it really merits, right? Um, You know, how do people view me? Am I, am I representing my organization the best possible way? Um, So, so no, it's, it's, and, and by the way, you still are, have, competing masters as well and, and competing clients are just internal clients and competing assignments. And they're all important, right? So you still have to work on time management. Um, I also have a busy personal life. I have, I have a partner who is also an attorney um, who is still in big law, right? And so, you know, it it is very difficult for us to, to organize our, our time with our children and they get older, that gets more complicated as well. And there are more demands on your time, right? So I don't know necessarily, I think the, to, to coin destiny's term, the modern general counsel, it is, it is no longer a nine to five. I don't know whether it ever really was, but it certainly isn't anymore. Um, And you want to be, if you want to be a leader in your organization, you, you need to be present for it, but, but you also need to know where to draw the line for your own personal well-being um i am very proud and very fortunate to work at an organization that values the individual um they are very respectful of of my needs my 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 personal time with my family um they're also it's an organization that's committed to diversity and inclusion and promoting women and promoting people of color internally as well um it, it, they don't it, they don't just you know, talk the talk, they walk the walk and, and I see it on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so for me, that's, that is incredibly important, right? This is part and parcel of, at a certain point, like you just, you just want to like the people you work with. You want to be proud of the institution that you work for, um, in, in sports and entertainment, you know, this, this is, you, you know, historically it's, in a little bit of a frat club right and so but as i i have not had that that experience personally since since i've been here um it's it, everyone values everyone's opinion they're interested in in your personal growth as well and that you're satisfied really um with your job so and that's again that's been my my personal experience but as as a woman um and as a minority woman i think as you when you're looking at you know making the move in house yes it is again critical that you really do your diligence on the business that you do your diligence on the on your legal group and on on the man- management that you'll be working with and that you know look around you know how how many you know what what does management look like and and what's their mission going forward so so yes this is this is important
0: Thank you. No, I think that's a that's that's just a, a very insightful answer, both you and Destiny. Um, one thing I did want to mention also is another you know possible stress point is that you know when you're in uh, uh, outside law firm or you're in, you're in the um, you know um, you know law practice, you're in the business of law, and so everything revolves around the business of law and being a lawyer and being part of that. When you go in house. You know, and I found this, uh, you know, over the many years that I was in the house, you know, you're no longer the subject, um, you are sort of a subservient, you know, cost center group within an organization. And that can cause stress because you don't have control over your destiny as much because there's a broader, larger organization that's making decisions. They're, you know, uh, potentially, you know, making decisions around budgets, around hiring, around employment, etc. cetera. And you may not be in control of that. Not necessarily if you're at a law firm; you're always going to be in control of that. But at least you're sort of in that business, and you, you know, maybe at some point you may even become one of the partners of the firm, and you can be one of those deciders. Um, So just wanted to bring that up a a little bit. Um, In in the last, you know, uh, sort of almost half hour we have here, I want to talk about some of the challenges with working in house. And um, when we got together, we, we kind of created a list here of, of some of the areas that, um, you know, were critically important. And, um, you know, one of the areas is sort of, uh, you know, being in multiple roles as an in-house counsel and building relationships. And uh, Destiny, I want to turn to you a little bit, and maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience uh, in, those, in those areas. So the so I want to talk about the relationship building
3: part first sure. because I feel like it leads into the multiple roles and um is informative there. And so like when you're in-house, and I think I said this at the initial part, like you have such an interesting vantage point because you work on these very independent particular things. And so you're building relationships with those people. Um, And you're not just their attorney, you you're there, you see them every day. So like, you have to be real diplomatic sometimes about your no, about your, well, I get where you're going with this, but maybe we can do it slightly differently. Because those are egos that you have to deal with every day. They're not clients that you just send off a brief to, and you don't have to see them or talk to them. Um, And so building those relationships is really important. And and part of that is showing up authentic um, because people know when you're BSing them. And so um, I have... Apparently, I have a tell and something that's something my deans have told me is like, I will spend the first three minutes of my office um, visit with like, how are you? How's your mama? Like very, very Southern. And then like, apparently I take a breath and then I'm like, so (laughs) let's talk about this. And they know that the tone has changed, but they are ready and understand that that's coming from an author. Authentic take place. Um, and so when it's time to get into the nitty gritty or to have some really flavorful pushback on issues that really matter for the institution, I think that it gives some, some appreciation of the person as a person so that you can move through the hard parts without feelings being hurt. Um, And so that's the relationship building and why I think it's important to like, to show up authentic. Um, And then the multiple roles piece, you know, all of us probably have seen our job descriptions that say other duties as assigned. Um, And some of us do have other duties embedded in the position. And again, I think we go back to our rules of professional conduct to um, ensure that we can be diligent that we are competent to do those things. And then also having, again, the emotional maturity to also say, I understand that you believe that I can do this, but I'm at capacity. And if I, and I can't do this in the way that you need me to do it. And I can't do this in a way that fulfills my professional obligations. Um, and so we're gonna have to have a different dialogue about where our needs and resources meet. Um, but yeah, wearing the multiple hat thing is, is an often like you're advising, you're advising these committees on issues, but you're also handling business transactions. Um, and sometimes you're the corporate secretary as well. So you're dealing with your board of trustees, um, and some of their documents. And so it's, we're going to have to wear multiple hats. Like that's just, you can't, you can no longer say, no, I don't do that. Um, But I think that we also have to be very mindful of our own capacities um, for both ourselves and our clients um, and making sure that you try to make a balance of that.
0: I think that's and and your, your point, uh, the last point there is a terrific one and something that um, you know, when when I've taught in, in house Counsel class, we spend a fair amount of time talking about the, Attorney-client privilege and the work-product doctrine, and so sort of you've got to, as an in-house counsel, particularly if you're serving in different roles, or you're being asked to, you know, serve on a committee, or you're, you know, in a business meeting or whatever, and that being asked for business advice, you've got to be aware of sort of that line between when you're providing legal advice and when you're sort of outside, and you've got a different hat on, and you're maybe providing strategic and business advice. Um, And one area where that becomes, you know, really important, um, and I'm going to turn to you, Cam, because you haven't haven't spoken in a little while, but, um, you know, crisis management. What what does that mean for an in-house counsel? Oftentimes, um, you know, or unfortunately, companies and organizations have a crisis. And who do they turn to? But not the Ghostbusters, but the in-house counsel. So, Cam, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. I think you know, especially being a smaller company and younger company, there's a crisis every day. You know, for the people you work for, right? So I think you know when I look at crisis, crises, I guess a crisis crises. In, in short, there's two really important things to be cognizant of. So the first thing is, is it an actual crisis? You know, I work very closely with various product product devs and kind of people across the organization, whether it be sales or product dev or business development, whatever it may be, right? Something might pop up um, on a day that they think it's the most important thing in the world and the company really needs to address it right now, right? And a lot of times that's not the case. You have to be able to understand, okay, is this an actual crisis? What's the issue? Is it a really important issue that needs to be addressed right now? Or is this an issue that can be not sidelined but thought about over a week or two weeks and you can bring in additional people from the organization to kind of think about it and then you can provide the appropriate advice and thoughtful advice in, in a thoughtful manner. Now, if you address it as a hot issue and it is a real crisis type issue, then the second thing you really need to do is slow it down. So in our space, things move incredibly fast. You know, from an operational perspective, our companies are somewhat complex, right? And so um, when you have registered entities operating in a complex environment, you know, decisions need to be made pretty quickly. And it's very important that you slow the conversation down to understand what exactly is going on, what exactly the issue is. And then with that, you need to really know what you don't know. So understand, you know, the business that you're operating, the, the business you have, right, and the industry you're operating in and understand what the key issues are. And if you're aware there's an issue that you're not familiar with, find a way to say, OK, look, this is an issue. We've identified it. We, nearly, we really need to bring in maybe it's outside counsel. For me, maybe it's my my superiors, my deputy or CLO to kind of opine on this, this issue that we're talking about. And then the third really important thing when you're dealing with a hot, you know, topic or hot issue, hot crisis or a crisis in general, um, slow it down and then identify the issue and understand what the options are, right? You never really want to go into uh, a conversation with your client and say, okay, we've identified the issue. Here's my recommendation or guidance. I think you really want to have optionality, right? You know, these are the three approaches we can take. Here are the risks associated with each approach at that point in time, management can really understand, okay, here are three options. Here's the company's risk appetite at this particular point in time. We don't want to do option A because the risk doesn't really fall within our risk appetite. Option B looks like a possibility, but really not a cost-effective possibility for us. And option C, you know, it's a low risk. and It seems like the most affordable kind of way to, to go forward. And it's regulatory. You know, it makes sense from a regulatory perspective. So, you know, those three things really come to mind. And, and again, that first one's really important because as in-house counsel, you're gonna be talking to people across the business um every day 24-7. And there's always gonna be something they need right now. You really need to identify what really needs your time at that particular moment. I mean, what can wait? Because there's this constant stuff in the backlog and you need to be you need to be available really to the business as a whole um as much as you possibly can be.
0: Yeah, no, that that that's good advice. And one thing that, you know, strikes me in your um, answer there is in, us, in essence, you're sort of leading here. I mean, you're, you are um, you know, there's a crisis. Oftentimes, the business people will turn to the in-house general counsel or counsels, you know, for that advice. And they'll say, that's the first place we'll go to. You know, we'll talk to them. We'll call up the general counsel. And then they'll look to you for leadership um, and to guidance. And, you know, you're now sort of in control. And maybe that's something you, wouldn't necessarily have experienced, you know, as an associate at a big law firm, or maybe, maybe you might've, but but it is kind of a, a, a unique feature of in-house. And Issyra, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of what it means to be sort of leading projects or being a leader within the organization?
1: Yeah, I mean, what you said was exactly what happens, right? So there's there's an issue or a transaction or a crisis. And of mm-hmm. course, the first person that gets the call will be my boss, right, the general <laughs> counsel. I sort of see him as like the center, like the, the the center of a wheel with all these you know spokes coming out of it. You're the person who puts together the plan, assembles the team, you know, has the kickoff call and a transaction. Um, and it takes like a level of organization and also just understanding like who should be on the team, who are the teams and then who should be sort of the core team for the matter um, at hand. When I was in private practice, I had the benefit of, of working for a partner who was um, really put a lot of time and effort in making sure that her deal team was aware of how the client's team was structured. And I didn't understand like why she took so much time to do that, right? So um, in in private practice, if you're on a deal team, it's pretty hierarchical, right? There's a chain of command, junior associates do like a lot of work and they kind of report up to middle levels, middle levels to see the senior associate running the deal. And then the partners who generally have the most contact with the client. Um, This particular person was very, took time to make sure that everybody on the deal team was aware of how the client operated. Um, We had these big clients on these large M&A transactions. And so, you know, understanding what the different groups were that were working on the deal, who the heads of those groups were, and really making sure that they were introduced to every member of of the law firm's team. It was invaluable. Um, And and it may be, you know, different partners have different styles before an associate. It was just an amazing experience. When I'm in-house now, of course, like, you know, you just sort of have this assumption as you're an associate that everybody's structured the same way. It's just you know bottom up, top down, whatever. Um, but then when you're when you're in house, like teams are teams are organized usually more horizontally, right? And and they have their own dynamics. So uh, one of the challenges in being in house is I think first identifying okay, so who needs to be on this team, right? Um, and depending on what you're doing your team structure is going to look differently. Like, are we dealing with a data security incident? Like who needs to be on the? Because that is a very, that's a crisis, right? Like, so you, or hopefully it's not a crisis, but you need to react quickly, get the information out to the relevant um, uh, persons quickly, make sure that your stakeholders are informed, right? But it's, it's gathering information, understanding what happened, pushing that information out, mitigating risk, right? If you're working on a deal, it's trying trying to like plan out the life's you know the timeline of that deal, bringing in the relevant outside specialists that you will need. Not necessarily just a, a, an outside law firm, but like your you know investment advisors as well, um, to the extent that they're involved. Any any other specialists, um, and then part of leading these teams right is like managing your 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 internal teams, um, and then and then communicating the information that your outside counsel needs. If you're, uh, there's a lot of billing pressure these days too. So you try and use outside counsel efficiency. Oftentimes what we see in M&A deals now is the diligence portion that was traditionally with outside counsel to do has moved in-house now. And that's just, again, just has to do with um, um, billing pressures. Um, And so it's tough though, with when you're outside counsel and drafting the, the documentation for a deal, but you don't have the benefit of the diligence, right? You're not on the front lines of learning um, the information that you used to have at your fingertips, right, for purposes of drafting and negotiating. So as in-house counsel, one of your roles is also like making sure that that diligence is done, but that the relevant information is, is, you know, fed to, provided to your outside counsel so that they have the tools that they need to represent you effectively. Um, and so and that can be tricky as well. It's understanding what your outside counsel needs and you know making sure that they're in communication with the right persons at, at your organization. So there's it's a hyper level of organization <laughs> that you need to do. Um, it's challenging, it's stressful. yes, I actually also find it to be a, a lot of fun, right and and you do get to know you know the circadian rhythms of each of your you know internal, groups. Um, and it's also, I always find it a blast working with outside counsel. So yes, it is, it is challenging and tricky. You need to be incredibly organized. You need to constantly keep everyone informed, which means you need to stay abreast of, of everything. Um, so,
0: uh, yeah. Well, thank you. And and you actually answered my, my question I was going to ask you next, which was managing outside counsel. So that's terrific. And, um, you know, in, in that regard, I think you know what's really nice is when you're in-house and you have those relationships with outside counsel uh first of all it's it's great to have the relationships and and to meet people and to you know have a larger sort of set of contacts but also to learn from outside counsel they can be incredible sources of teaching and and uh communicating of you know ideas and you know bringing new regulatory developments etc so it's a critical Juncture. I want to turn a little bit, and it's sort of a theme from what you were saying is around sort of um, working with limited resources, right? So, you know, it's great if you can call outside council and kind of have them be part of the team or help um, when, you know, you're you're stressed for, um, you know, time or, or um, expertise, et cetera. But you may have limited resources to be able to do that. And how does that work? And Cam, do you want to uh, talk about that quickly and then... Uh, Give us a
2: little bit of insight on that. Yeah, so again, being a smaller company, you know, we definitely have limited resources, as kind of Alex is alluding to, and so you know you have to be incredibly in tune with where free materials are provided. All right. So for me, we're in the fintech space, and then we do touch blockchain with the ATS. So understanding where I can get uh, not necessarily free legal advice, but free analyses and free research publications, maybe whatever it may be online. Um, and utilize that to your advantage, right? Make sure you understand what the important issues are. And I think when you you have limited resources, again, this goes back to what I said before, but knowing what you don't know, you really need to know what you don't know. And that doesn't mean, you know, an issue comes across my desk and I don't know it at that point in time. Can I learn it, right? Can I learn it? Can I find something that can teach me about it? Um, Can I talk with colleagues in my network, um, which is very important. Your professional network is incredibly important. you are in-house that can help me kind of learn that subject area on a quick, uh, a quick time period, and then at that point, you'll be able to identify what you really cannot figure out internally, and that allows you to minimize costs with outside counsel. So when you when you really are going outside, you're going outside for a very complex issue that has you know a lot of sensitivity around it, maybe from a regulatory perspective or whatever it may be, and you can get a very fine-tuned answer from your outside counsel on a very limited cost basis. So that's really the key: is just understanding what you can really narrow um, internally, and then when you need to, you can go to outside counsel ad hoc
0: yeah that, that's that's a great point. And I think you know the theme out of that is sort of um in many ways, in-house counsel um becomes sort of a legal risk manager, right? so you're you're constantly trying to figure out where the sort of legal risks, mitigation risk, et cetera, are to your organization and where you want to spend the time and dollars to sort of address those risks maybe in a sort of priority way um so that you're not spending, you know, Time and dollars on sort of things that may not really bring much of a risk to the organization, and so you've got to be attuned to that. And so that's one of the you know key areas being a, a sort of a legal risk manager or understanding risk to the firm, understanding overall global risk. But another area is really being um, what what some have called being a culture carrier. And I want to turn to you, Destiny, and have you talk a little bit about what that means. What does it mean to be a culture carrier within? a organization?
3: Yep, here we go. Absolutely. Um, I think that in-house counsel has an opportunity to really move an organization forward or, and sometimes it can really stall out an organization. Um, so the culture carrier piece, and I think it's, it's, it's one of those that when we live in a In a world where we are constantly having to react to things um, and react to the, the new issue of the day, the culture carrier means that we always have to maintain the basics. Like, and I know it sounds like really, really easy, but like we probably have a policy on that or or if we don't, we need to make one. And that's something that we can do. But like like really honing down on the basics so that when our clients are reacting, we can provide what we are supposed to, competent legal advice um, that allows them to make informed decisions. And so being a culture carrier is being a listener, being an educator, um, and a problem solver. And sometimes, and I think Cam, when you said this um, in the crisis piece, slowing down. So a lot of times the reaction doesn't allow us to take stock of all of the internal practices and all of the things that we already know how to do. And so I think sometimes the general counsel's office allows for enough slowdown so that we get our ducks in a row correctly to move forward efficiently. And so that's what I see as culture caring for the institution.
0: I think that makes sense. And 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 also I think to add on to that, it's really uh oftentimes being the maybe the executive or the person in the room who really is going to step back and say, let's take a look at this from sort of a maybe a maybe, you know, a legal standpoint, but also a moral standpoint and also sort of a standpoint from public opinion and sort of getting those issues percolated to senior management so that they are not rushing into something and that you're holding them accountable to some extent to say, you need to think about the broad range of issues here. In the last couple of minutes we have, um, there's also, I think, the sense of uh, an institutional history. Right. Um, and I want to turn to you, SCR, maybe for a minute or two of you're you're talking about that in terms of what does that mean? Having an institutional history, because I'm sure your institution has a long history.
1: I work for an institution, with a lot of history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, and 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 I wasn't I wasn't well versed in, in its history. I'm not originally from Boston, and, and I don't, I, I didn't really know very much about the organization. I was outside counsel for them for a little while before I joined them. Um, so I, you know, I think in order to uh, do what what Destiny said, which is we look, our role is to provide competent legal advice, right, and and to be problem solvers. But in in order to do that. You really need to understand your business, and and if your business has been around for quite some time in a challenging environment or a tricky city, sometimes um, you you also need to you, you need to understand its history, um, and and history is important, obviously uh, for our for our organization. Um, but I think it's also understanding sort of the culture and the mission of its ownership and its management, right? Because these are the people that, that we are advising, that we're working with. These are, you know, we're helping them take our organization forward and build on that culture, right? So um, it, it's, it involves being, exactly. I keep saying what Destiny said, because you're articulating it so well, like being a good listener, Being a good learner, you're constantly learning. It's what Cam mentioned it before. You're constantly absorbing, um, you know, information from your industry, but also from from your organization as as well. It's being a good coordinator of people, right? Connecting, you know, finding the people who can assist you to do what you need to do to provide the advice you can or the work product that you need to do. Bringing in outside counsel and specialists to assist you with that, knowing when to do that. Not everything is material, um, but, but, you know, several things are, and you will need assistance for that. Um, And, and being sort of that connector, right? The center of the wheel um, and keeping everyone um, in the organization connected so that you're sort of moving the mission forward. And Uh, I think
0: that, um, thank you. That, that, and I think, you know, being a connector uh, and being sort of someone who understands the organization, critically important. And um, I want to, With that, I think we're gonna close our panel today. I wanna thank all of our uh, speakers and panelists and um, uh, we'll uh, hope to see you again soon. Thanks so much, take care, bye-bye.
3: Thanks for having me, thanks for having us.
0: Likewise, thank you, bye. Thank you.